Nova Scotia has one of the highest energy poverties in, in Canada. So, you know, if you wanted to put good government money to use, you would go through and go, okay, where is this housing? I think the appetite's there. I just think the, the way we approach it isn't quite as clean as it could be, which means that we stall on a lot of stuff. Or we go towards the shiniest item, right? Like, let's put a solar panel on the house. That's great, but if you should probably have better insulation and a high-performance heating system before you look at, at renewables, as an example. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Anuj. And you're listening to the Just Good Business Podcast. It's a show about amplifying the voices of social enterprises, the humans behind them, and the journey they are on. Join us as we learn from Nova Scotia's social enterprises. Hearing what inspired them to take the unusual path for doing social good, creating prosperity beyond profit. Let's explore Nova Scotia's world of social entrepreneurship together. Who knows? You may be closer to running your own social enterprise than you think. Today, we are excited to be learning about yet another Nova Scotian social enterprise, Equilibrium Engineering. We all realize why it is important to make our buildings more energy efficient, but struggle to make practical decisions on how to go about doing it without breaking our bank accounts. Equilibrium identified this huge gap and founded a business focused on providing energy conservation advisory services to a wide range of clients in the construction sector. Its design and technical expertise has helped its partners and clients alike in reducing their energy costs, while also cutting down on the greenhouse emissions and their ecological footprint. We are so pleased to have William Marshall in our studio to learn about Equilibrium's story. William is a professional engineer with a passion for design and implementation of sustainable buildings, energy efficiency, and high-performance mechanical systems. During his career, William has worked as the environmental manager for Michelin North America as the lead faculty in the Nova Scotia Community College's Energy Sustainability Engineering Technology Program, woo, ESET for short, and is currently an active faculty member with both the Canadian Institute for Energy Training, or CIET, and the Canada Green Building Council, or the CAGBC. Perhaps most importantly though, he's a dad, an incredible social entrepreneur, he's a storyteller, and a real pleasure to chat with. So let's dive right in. Here's what I've been told. There are engineering firms and then there are engineering firms. Uh, you decided to create equilibrium with a difference. So uh, can you tell us how it all started and what's so unique about equilibrium? Definitely, it was, it was a bit of a weird start, I would say, compared to most companies. And, and to be transparent, you know, we are still a for-profit company. We are not a a registered social enterprise. Um, but the work that started EQ really was born out of a summer uh, of time off at the NSCC. I was uh, at the time teaching the uh, Energy Sustainability Engineering Technology Program or ESET program. So uh, big, long name. Um, and I had three just top-notch students, had a contract with a client uh, in Halifax. And I, was, and I said, you know what, let's, let's give this thing a go. So we worked out of my basement for a summer, and we we benefited, I guess, a little bit from uh, from support from the province. They have a, what they call an energy training fund, uh, specific to uh, folks that are either coming out of school or just still in, in school. And so we we kind of made a run of that, and 
I went back the next year to teach and, and finished that year. And I said, you know what, if, if I'm going to sit here and train folks to go out into an industry that's developing, it feels a, a little odd to be sitting on the sidelines. So it was uh, after my third year of, of running with the program, I said, you know what, I think, I think my heart's somewhere else. So uh, I made the jump, um, moved from my basement to a garage. So that was a pretty big upgrade. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, the, the whole thing that, that group that had come out of that graduating year, actually, I think it was five or six of them had joined us. We actually started out as a cooperative and said, okay, this is how we'll do it. Everybody gets a, a kind of a base pay. And then if you're able to either bring in work or work on billable contracts, then you get a bump. So again, trying to be creative, trying to, um, set it up a bit unique. Um, and so that, that's kind of the evolution. That's where we started. That's kind of where we were born out of. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's, uh, try something, uh, you really like it and, and you kind of follow your head and your heart. Mm, I think it was the great Jack Black that said, those who can't do teach and those who can't teach, <laughs> teach gym. I think it's what he said in the school of rock. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, so third go around third summer around and decided, Hey, let's, let's jump in on this. Well, just one quick correction and then a quick follow-up question question. Um, the, the, uh, I'm framing it as a correction, but it really is just a validation of saying, um, there is no, um, specific, um, registration for social enterprises. So um, right, yeah. I, we believe that that every organization can have an, a social enterprising strategy incorporated into into your vision, into your output. Um, and it sounds like you most certainly have. So um, uh, real quick, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. So you sure. were teaching at NSCC, but what about your background? What you what got you into this whole line of work? Yeah, so I would say it kind of goes back. Uh, I grew up in the valley, so you know, from an agricultural region, from a small town, rural. Um, I was lucky enough to have a little scholarship. I went to King's Edge Hill, um, had an opportunity to to kind of do a bit of fun sport. Uh, I ended up moving into Dalhousie, did an environmental engineering degree, and at the time, it was kind of a, a new market that was really growing, but it was ultimately focused around more about site assessments, cleanups from industrial accidents, and and there really uh, wasn't a, a huge kind of growth opportunity other than doing, say, banking reports for folks that are looking to buy a piece of property or asset and wanted to make sure that they ultimately weren't uh, weren't buying you know a huge liability underneath the ground as an example uh, so when I kind of came out of school I, I didn't really have any specific focus with where I saw this obviously the the marketplace around the interaction of ecology and and you know and the ability to still be corporate and make money and earn a living it's really about that ultimate balance, which is, is something I think most North Americans struggle a little bit with, right? It's my deserve, I need, I want, um, and, and we, we mix up these acquired versus required needs, right? Um, but when I uh, came out of school, I had a chance. I happened to be, I was selling computers at HB, you know, just making ends meet until I got my first job uh, with Rockwell Automation, which landed me uh, embedded at a Michelin plant in Granton. So the oldest of the three Michelin plants uh, was working kind of as a third party outside contractor. Rockwell Automation's a, a massive multi-billion dollar controls company, if, if you don't know that, but they were basically working in-house, uh, putting stock on the shelf to help help them have a reliability improvement inside the plant. Um, I had the opportunity to then move to the Waterville facility, so the newest of the Michelin, so from old to new. Um, which brought us back here to the valley um, where I grew up. I grew up in actually in Wolfville, 
so that I did for about two and a half, three years. I was environmental manager there. I was actually hired from a quality assurance perspective. And right out of the gate, they're like, I like your background. We're just doing an environmental permit renewal. Would you be interested in this? And that's kind of where the pivot came. So, And we'll call you what we want to call you, they say. You call me <laughs> Regardless you of like. the name. Yeah. Um, I'll answer and nod. Yeah, exactly. So what about, um, you mentioned that the Equilibrium team started with, you know, coming through the NSCC program. There was, it sounds like there were some new grads or at least some, or even some current students involved in the project. Um, tell us about the the team currently, you know, profiles, motivations, interests, that kind of stuff. Sure. So one of the, the pieces that we, we've always kind of struggled with uh, was as a consultant, you end up doing a lot of Here's your report, Matt. Here's what you should do. And and the challenge is, is that often leaves a, I'll call it a gap or a chasm where people goes, okay, I, I know what I should do, but who do I call? You know, where do I go? How do I know if I'm getting a good price? Are they going to do good work, et cetera? So uh, in January of this 2023, we actually created a new venture. Um, and it was a collaboration between ourselves and, um, and a Lindsay Construction out of Dartmouth. Uh, so pretty large, you know, the largest uh, construction firm in Atlantic Canada, actually. And we saw the benefit of putting these two together because we're going, okay, well, I'm making recommendations to, to Anuj and Matt and going, hey, you should do this. And, and the reality is, is you've got five other jobs on the side or you're trying to run that small business. And you go, this is really not my expertise. I don't know anything about HVAC or renewables. So we saw the opportunity to say, well, we have this workforce that we know can respond we have the ability to price goods. We have the ability because of a large volume of, say, of, of work that we can get better pricing at some of the supply side. And why don't we actually go and take that report and turn it into actual work that is reducing carbon, right? Trying to really make a uh, move from just going, we know what to do to actually let's get everybody moving on it. And we know that market's obviously kind of growing and, and moving. So to circle back to your question, uh, a lot of our folks are, are kind of a mix. Um, the management team is... Uh, two folks from the Lindsay's crew, uh, Mark McDougall, who is actually uh, from Anaganish, from where Anish is, um, grew up there, also a bit of a farm uh, slash rural boy. Uh, but he was the director of industrial for Lindsay's and, and a gentleman named Chad Wisner, who's actually uh, from Hansport. So a valley, another valley guy. And he was running the L360 division, which was a facility maintenance Um the rest of the team are primarily from this area, uh, uh, some mixed juniors, I would say. So we've got uh, Bern Campbell, who helped us with the Power Forward Challenge, came out of a master's program at Dalhousie uh, with Lucas Swan's lab. Um, we've got an, uh, a couple of folks we have picked off from Michelin <laughs> uh, because they do an absolute amazing job of training young engineers, Lawrence Meldrum. So again, another rural, rural uh, young family man who moved back to the Valley, really wanted to kind of live something a little bit more of a slow pace. Um, and so, you know, we add and subtract from that. Uh, you know, I can go through everybody in the team, but they're all here because they kind of share that common vision of, you know, if we're not going to do something about it and put our money where their mouth is, it's, it's, you can't just sit on the sidelines and complain. Uh, and you won a very big award recently, Will. Um, so if you were to explain uh, to an everyday Joan, Jane, or Jan like me, um, what do you do? You know, what is your business? Uh, right. How would you explain that? How would you describe it? So I, I would say that our business is a little bit of conventional, trying to un, unravel, you know, some of the, the way that our buildings and our systems impact the climate and environment. 
And then I would say, you know, probably myself a little bit more than, than most, you know, a little bit of willing to try anything new anytime, right? Uh, the key is trying to keep the balance of the two in, in some kind of a reasonable check that still pays the bills and make sure the staff have, uh, you know, benefits and lights to turn on. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we, we need to be able to push, uh, push a little bit of the, where the edge or the comfort zone is. Um, which is really what we did with the Power Forward Challenge. It was new battery storage. We happened to have a reasonably good relationship with the town of Berwick uh, utility. Uh, so much like uh, Antigonish, it's a municipally owned utility. So we were able to, to walk in 10 minutes down the road and, and kind of play in a, in a utility scale um, sandbox. Uh, we found some really interesting partners from Scotland that were a connection through some business development that I just happened to be doing on the side. Uh, you know, kind of keeping doors open, having conversations with people who might open other doors. And uh, and we were, I wouldn't say lucky, but we were opportunistic and we worked extremely well as a team and we were able to take home the grand prize uh, of a million dollars. Yeah, it was it was pretty substantial. Wow. Just small amount. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Just a small amount, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, taxes take half of that. So, uh, you know, it's a smaller amount after it hits the account. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. If one goes to your website, you have, you know, plethora of examples of the kind of projects you are doing. Um, you know, you might be dealing with multiple elements, but uh, in simple terms, it is about sustain sustainable buildings. Uh, and and how do you how do you reduce carbon footprint uh, in what you use how you live uh, and and so tell us a little bit about you know one or two uh, you know projects that you really feel proud of yeah I, I think it's easy to go towards the shiny obviously the power forward is is a bit of a, a feather in the cap um, true but I mean that that took that was done over two years with with two teams of kind of dedicated full time folks so. Doesn't surprise me, knowing the type of folks that we get here and the, and the talent that we have in Nova Scotia. Um, you know, probably the most satisfying work that I do is, is ultimately the teaching. You know, it's really about being able to, to sit in a room uh, with folks that are making decisions and get them up to speed on, you know, some of the lingo. So I'll give you an example. You know, we hear this all the time, net zero. Everybody in their mind, they go, well, we're going to do net zero. You're like, okay, well, is that net zero energy or net zero carbon or net zero embodied? You know, what are you actually? And we throw these terms around as if they're kind of interchangeable and they are completely different. Uh, so I think, you know, from a satisfaction perspective, ultimately being in front of those folks and being able to, to kind of pull those pieces together and then provide them back in some kind of analog that makes sense in their life is some of the most rewarding work I get to do. It also is some of the best work in the sense that once I'm done delivering it, I get to go home and, and I'm not I'm not worried about finishing up the, the report, right? Um, in terms of the type of work where we see the most value from an industry perspective, I think we, uh, we were able and lucky enough to do some work with the Nova Scotia Nursing Homes Association, uh, where we looked at six uh, facilities across the province with some funding from the province, uh, Department of Energy at the time. Um, and, and the reality is, is that you go into some of these places where to some extent we all are going to end up and, and, you know, there's a little bit of depressing, there's a lot of enthusiasm from the staff perspective and, and they're stuck in a scenario where you go, um, we know that there's things we can do to cut costs 
and those costs could easily be put back into programming for our residents. But we're absolutely already at 120%, and I don't have another 30 in the tank to get to get the work done. So, you know, I think that's one that we've been kind of, I'll say, slow pushing along along the side is always trying to keep that up. You know, out of those homes, we were able to identify, I think they all on average were somewhere between a $1.5 and $3 million of, of upgrades that had really good paybacks and really big carbon reductions. It's really about going, how do they then open up the funding buckets? Um, and again, you know, for folks that don't work in this world, you know, a, a big funding application like that could, could be 120, 160 hours worth of effort, right? So if you're already a struggling CEO or CAO of one of these homes trying to, to take care of residents, you don't, you just don't have that time uh, on the side of your plate to, to kind of stick handle stuff that's really not in your lane. So that's the type of work that I would say is, is really the most satisfying. It's really getting a hand up to somebody who's going, we want to do the right thing. We just don't know how to get there with the resources that we have. So when you are not getting uh, those $1 million checks or <laughs> when you are not um, getting uh, the grant money from uh, some department or another to work on a project, um, how do you actually pay your bill? How does the rest of the revenue get generated at Equilibrium? Sure. And how do you, how do you, you know, manage that? How do you, how do you kind of see your your social impact, but also have to keep the lights on uh, and get the revenues in? Yeah, it's it's one of those ones that you know I would say a lot of entrepreneurs think is probably harder than it is, and maybe that's easy to say having come through developing a company that really has never had to struggle with that. Um, you know, there's a quote I have at home, and and it's really. I think it's Goth is his name, uh, Von, someone Von Goth. And it's really about, you know, the, the idea around starting has kind of this magic in it that once you go down the path, all these other things like meeting you guys opens the door and meeting so-and-so at this conference opens the door. And, 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 you know, really since I've started, we've been fortunate enough to really never have to worry about paying the bills. Maybe there was a couple of times where I didn't maybe pay myself that week, but it was always, it, you know, it's really about more about learning that cash flow rhythm. Um, you know, when you do decent work uh, and represent your clients well, they often come back, right? So if you can, can, can kind of keep that idea of what is good customer service uh, and, you know, what does it mean to try and build an engaged team, um, the rest kind of just seems to fall in there. Maybe that's just me being, uh, you know, you know, reflective of, of my experience. But if the idea has merit and you do it well, we've really never had to struggle for that, you know? So I would say it also benefits us that the businesses in Nova Scotia are trying to do the right thing. So, you know, in the last couple of years, the what, what I would call our market has obviously grown quite significantly compared to the, you know, 14 years ago when I was in a garage and we were chasing energy audits, you know, just to keep the lights on. So there is a lot of hype around sustainability. There's a lot of hype around net zero. There's a lot of, and we have been listening, uh, at least I have been listening this for over 20 years. And obviously, as you said, um, things are changing. On a scale of one to 10, you know, where would you place us right now? And, and where you, especially your vantage point, where you are a specialized yeah. firm, uh, that completely focuses on this issue. 
Uh, where do you see uh, us right now and where is it heading? I think we're in kind of a gray zone right now. I'll be honest with you. Obviously, we're having less of, less of the debate we would have had, say, five, 10 years ago, about whether this is something that's actually happening. I think that was kind of that first piece. I think we're we're using the language differently, if that makes sense. It's not, it, it, you know, this idea of climate change for the global warming is a good example, right? We did the global warming piece and, and now it's really about climate change, climate mitigation, you know, resiliency. And that, and so I think the narrative is changing a little bit. I think you're always going to have a bit of a split depending on where you, where you are on the line. So obviously I'm on one side of a line saying that I can make business and employ people doing what I feel is right and what I feel is meaningful. Um, you know, there are companies out there that would still be what we could accuse them of maybe greenwashing. You know, I sell a product that does a thing that maybe doesn't really do the thing, but I know that, for example, that I, because of the hype, I might sell 12 more on Amazon, whatever you want. And then on the far right side, you have folks that are, are obviously dependent on heavily on a, say, a resource type industry. And, and I'll use the oil sands as a good example. You know, those are well-paying jobs um, in an industry that's always had some, you know, been a backbone of the country. So you have those folks that are that are obviously pretty torn because you're going, well, I have a right to earn. And, uh, you know, and for you to just kind of slam my industry completely and say, turn off the tap, that's, that's insulting. So you, I think the pieces kind of split both from a personal and economic level. From an honest opinion, I think the conversation really needs to move more about how we live and less about what we do as a job, right? So it's that idea of, again, acquired versus required needs. You know, there should be no reason in a place like Canada that someone is struggling for, for shelter, food, or, or healthcare, right? Those are, those are really the three must-have things to stay alive, right? Um, I think we get lost in, in that piece of going, well, if I make the big bucks, I have the right to do whatever I want and I can buy the thing and, and I, I've earned that. And the reality is, is that kind of consumption addiction, if you want to call it that, is ultimately what's driving a majority of the emissions, right? It's the, um, and, and I'll use my house, you know, we all have cars because I can't drive two girls around, two teenage girls between work and school. It doesn't work. My wife works as well. She's an entrepreneur in the graphic design. So, you know, in a culture that has lots, it's easy to, to kind of lose that versus a culture that, you know, is, is developing and you're going, well, my big concern is, can I get enough to eat today to feed my family? And can I keep something over my head that, you know, again, provides protection? So I think the narrative has to come away a little bit from, is it the climate change and what's the impact? And it's really about, you know, can we figure out how to live more sustainably within the finite resource we have, which is Earth? Uh, and a very quick uh, follow-up. You know, we all know that uh, the way we live uh, and very practically, you know, uh, the way our buildings are constructed, the way we use them, either at home or in office or, uh, or uh, on public places, uh, is a significant contributor and, and user of energy. And that's your your field of work. That's your expertise. Uh, you know, are you seeing some movement and shifts in the way we are looking at buildings and 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 living spaces now? I would say that it's 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 again still dependent to somewhat in in, and I would say 
different socioeconomic groups have slightly different versions, right? So obviously I have clients that are doing, you know, you know, 100, 200 unit, multi-unit residential developments. These are millions and millions of dollars, right? So their aspect is a little bit different, you know, they have to make, uh, they have to make an, uh, an earning, they have to see a return, etc. So, you know, where they see it and how much they have to go is one thing. I think from a homeowner perspective, there's folks that I would say, and I'll call them, say my, my parents' generation that are kind of retiring out and maybe there's a bit of, I'll call it social guilt. So they're going, well, I'm retired. I own my house. I'll do the solar. I'll maybe I'll find an EV or a, or a hybrid. So I think, again, there's these bands and then you've got what I would call the majority of the working class that are going, I'm just really trying to get through the day. You know what I mean? I know that if I put a heat pump in or I, or I re-insulated my, uh, my house, assuming I own a house, I could afford a house today, um, will save me. But do I have a spare $20,000 sitting in the bank account to do that work? Um, or do I have the expertise to take it on, say, on a weekend and do it side by side, right? So I think there's a lot of folks out there that have really good intent. Um, but I think where the market's probably a little bit behind is going, what are the pathways for financing some of this and, and opening some of those doors? You know, Nova Scotia is, you know, one of the, has one of the highest energy poverties in, in Canada. So, wow. you know, if you wanted to put good money, good government money to use, you would go through and go, okay, where is this housing? Let us make those improvements. Let's get those houses so that, that they can stay here. They're comfortable. We've knocked down the GHG. We've knocked down that price. We've knocked down that variability of what happens when oil tomorrow jumps 30% because of a war somebody where else, or because the Suez Canal is blocked or whatever it happens to be, you know, has nothing to do with the people in, in say, you know, North Kentville or, you know, Anaganish proper. I think the appetites there, I just think the, the way we approach it isn't quite as clean as it could be, which means that we stall on a lot of stuff or we go towards the shiniest item, right? Like let's put a solar panel on my house. That's great. But if you should probably have better insulation and a high performance heating system before you look at, at renewables as an example. Fascinating. Can you share with us? I mean, I know you've said, you know, I, I really admire your perspective um, on saying, you know what, like we figured out how to keep the lights on. You know, it hasn't been a challenge for us uh, necessarily. I mean, I'm sure that hindsight can be a little bit uh, 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 glass half full in that in that perspective. But um, could you share with us any kind of business or personal challenges that you've encountered while building the business that you have? Uh, you know, creating groundbreaking business and impact the way that you have. I'm sure there's been one challenge here or there that we might be able to learn from. So uh, what comes to mind when I say, what challenges have you overcome? <laughs> well, I mean, I think anytime you work with humans, that's there's always some variables, right? It, it's, it's trying to tread that line of being a good business operator and being a reasonable human, right? So our, our folks have a pretty I would say flexible approach to work. So, um, you know, if really built around, we need the work done when you do it, it's kind of has some flexibility for yourself. So, you know, whether you decide that I've got a couple of younger folks, I like to come in, they come in early and they, they take off a bit early. Right. So for them, it's getting their day out so they can think it out the door. Um, obviously, you know, the folks that we work with, I would say, tend to lean to the younger side just because their generation has kind of grown up what I would say with this issue. So 
as those folks grow their families, we also have to be respectful of that, right? So there's some times where you're in that challenging position of going, you know, I told Matt I would have the report out for him, but today, uh, but one of the staff actually, you know, they had to, they had to stay home because they've got a sick child or they've got, uh, you know, um, you know, a spouse that's, that's under the weather or maybe they're under the weather. Um, COVID was a huge challenge in that way because we were always a face-to-face company, right? Um, we win by being in the same space and being collaborative and being able to bounce ideas off each other. Um, so when COVID hit and everybody seemed to be hitting the brakes, like people weren't paying bills, they were holding on to cash, um, you know, they were throwing out programs. They're like, well, if you lay people off, we can do this. And, and we had to make a pretty hard decision. We go, well, do we worry about the bank account right now, which was in a, in a good spot? Or do we, do we keep everybody on? And we kept everybody on. Nobody lost a job. Nobody, um, was turned away. We didn't, we didn't slide them over and say, we'll put you on on, you know, EI or something like that and hope that you come back. It was, uh, it was, you know, making a logical decision with partners and said, well, this is what we have in profit this year and we're going to blow through it. But, you know, these are also the folks that, that made it. So (laughs) it seemed like it made sense. So that's probably one of the most challenging, um, you know, secondary to that really is business becomes super personal to an extent when you're building it, it's hard to let it go sometimes. So, um, you know, I jokingly say sometimes I would love to drive a snowplow or mow lawns at the golf course because I get to go home, right? Um, as an entrepreneur, it's like you're always working, right? I'm not saying that in a bad way. There's sometimes that you would be glad to just put your head down and shut off the laptop and throw the phone in the garbage. But um, that's a trade. I would say that's the toughest trade is, is starting something you know, you have to be willing to to kind of flex to when the business needs you if that makes sense oh it makes complete sense my 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 dream and in those moments my friend is the person who has the stop and slow sign at a construction zone to say oh man oh, do yeah. that 100 uh, sometimes <laughs> yeah that's yeah. the sweet life no i i hear you entirely and i wonder so um correct me if i'm wrong but a, a couple answers ago you'd mentioned one of the most rewarding parts of what you do is the teaching aspect right Mm-hmm. which is ironic, I guess, considering you stepped away from teaching to do it, but I guess it also kind of continues and is this is the through line. But I'd ask you here to put on your teaching hat if you can and give some advice from some, some lived experience, uh, some, some, you know, whether there were challenges, whether there were successes that you've had as a business leader, um, as a business, uh, far more social enterprising than I think you'll give yourself credit for based on, based on some of the answers that you've had. Um, if you were to advise anybody to be coming into the business now, be it just uh, entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs in general, or folks particularly uh, bent within the, uh, the, the engineering field, um, what, did, what advice might you have for them on how they may do things differently or how they may learn from some of the successes that you've had? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Matt. Um, I think one of the biggest learnings I had was, um, was ultimately not to get so caught up in, well, how am I going to fund it? Does that make sense? And that's probably easy for, for a guy like me to say, because, you know, we are effectively a service-based organization. So I don't have you know, millions of dollars of stock sitting somewhere. I don't have to bankroll that that bit. So I would say, you know, my perspective is a little skewed, but the reality is that if the idea is legitimately good and if your heart is truly in it, 
the money will show up, right? And and I don't want to sound like that's just like wishy-washy, you know, magic theory. But the reality is, is that people see that there are smart business folks out there, that, you know, to, to quote like a McCain, like there's a there's a human that sees value in in kind of giving a hand up. Um, I think understanding that entrepreneurs as a community are also pretty supportive. So, um, and sometimes pretty blunt. So, you know, being able to run those ideas past or by others for input um, and being able to take that feedback without taking it as a personal assault on the idea. Um, you know, I have seen businesses come and go and, and, you know, under my, under my breath, being able to say, I, I could have saw that coming. Um, I think it is like the fundamentals are still the fundamentals. If you're not making enough revenue to that's more than the, the staff that you're carrying, plus the rent, plus the IT, plus whatever, um, is not a good business idea, right? Um, I think the challenge that we're, we're, we see to some extent is, again, it's a bit of a North American problem, but you see these companies jump out of nowhere that have a tech that has yet to be monetized, but is now worth $2 billion. And you go, and it's 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 kind of like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna become an NHL player. I'm gonna play in the big leagues, or you know maybe you know something similar. Probably statistically same chance. I'm gonna win the lottery, right? So do your research, set your baseline, talk to as many people as you can. And the way I did it was to start it on the side. So maybe don't quit your job as a surgeon uh, today to to start a soap company without at least testing the waters maybe in the market. Right. So find a place like a farmer's market where you can go test and see if there's a demand for the service, maybe give it away and get some feedback. Like there's a ton of creative ways to go. Does this idea actually make sense? And will somebody actually um, do something with it? Um, but you have to have that little bit of trust and you have to be okay saying, you know, nothing is guaranteed like in life. So it's okay to fail. Um, and one of those, I think I probably got that a little bit when I graduated and I really wish I wish I remember the gentleman's name, but at the time, um, he had a company called, I think it was called Sycamore Industries. He was the, the speech giver. And he said, uh, you know, I had a good friend of mine and, and he and my wife and myself created this company. And we got to this point where we we're at about a three, $4 million valuation. We had this really kind of headbutt just debate over the direction of the business. He said, we walked away. He's like, it was six or seven years of their life, putting all their money and effort into it. And they walked away from it. Six years later, he sold his next company for 300 million. And again, I'm not trying to glamorize that, that, you know, get rich quick, but if you're doing it for the right reason and you're being a reasonably good human, it seems to work out. Like, and I, and I know that you probably can't take that to the Royal bank and get a loan with it, but hopefully that's enough to, <laughs> maybe push someone off the couch to give it a shot. Wow. I'll, I'll probably try that, Will. <laughs> um, you know, and if just extending that conversation a little, I think at Just Good Business, uh, we, have, we have the hypothesis that uh, we can identify a social problem and within a massive social problem, uh, like climate change and carbon, uh, you know, issues, and then convert that into to business opportunities, and and while solving that problem, also make money. Uh, just an example, 
given given your insights of now many years in this field a specific field of yours what opportunities you are seeing uh, for a new entrepreneur who might be wanting to enter in this area a fellow professional who may be in the service part or maybe in the implementation side you know so what are those emerging bubbles that are burning right now so I would say there's probably a couple of news, but the ones that kind of jump out at, you know, right out of the gate really around, and I'll use software as the analogy, you know, everything you buy now is a, is a subscription, right? SAS, software as a service. I can't buy a license anymore to the Microsoft, a permanent one forever for office, right? I, I pay a, a monthly fee or an annual fee. We're seeing that in the building side of the industry. So maybe it's, it's myself coming in and going, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to own your boiler or I'm going to own your heat pump, but I'm going to bring it into you. You're going to get the benefits of some savings today. Um, I'm going to have a repeat client. I'll do the servicing, you know, kind of that full kind of turnkey piece that goes, I'm going to let him go do his thing and I'll take care of his needs. I'll make sure your house is warm. You got hot water. Um, and if you want, you know, we, we can supply you with some air conditioning in the summer. I think that's a real opportunity that we're going to see more, more and more, um, just because again, I think a lot of businesses, big and small, are just they have so much on their hands to deal with already that you add that extra layer. Well, you need to hire a team. You need to hire a bunch of your own experts. Um, the other one I would say is more of a I would call it an incremental opportunity, and it's specific to probably the trades. Um, you know, a lot of times, well, for a lot of decades, we treated trades folks as you know, well, you didn't go to university, you're trades, but you know, these are trades professionals. These are folks that are experts in their industry. Um, and I think classically that industry has always been very slow to move, if that makes sense. So I think if there's some some young carpenters and plumbers and HVAC specialists out there understanding that a little bit of education with your clients or, or finding a partnership with like someone like myself, I'm able to bring some of that piece you need to educate and you're able to offer a much better product or service to your client versus going, well, I do boilers. I'm going to replace your boiler with, with a new boiler, right? You go, well, why don't we look at the whole thing? Um, and, and ultimately, you know, our whole perspective is always built around get the waste out, you know, get the non-operational waste out the door. Then you go high efficiency. Then you go into pipe or renewable solutions, right? So I think there's a lot of opportunity where you've got the handymans, the carpenters and those guys and going, you know what? You're not changing what you do but you're offering something different and nova scotia is a good equal to that you know our classic is uh you know vinyl siding house wrap osb or plywood and then uh you know a two by four two by six with with fiberglass or, or cellulose move that insulation to the outside it doesn't change anything for the carpenter the carpenter should be pushing that right i can i can put a two inch or inch and a half rigid package on the outside of your house um it gives me airtight benefits. It makes the insulation more valuable because now I don't have the bridging through the through the truss or through the through the wall uh, stud, right? So again, a little bit of education um, and a little bit of creativity on how you're presenting your business um, in the in the trades professions, I think would would be a massive uptick for them. I love the way you think, Will. What recommendations do you have for policymakers? How can they really make this easier to transition to a, a better world, to a better building environment? So 
I don't know if I would say that I have lots of valuable political insight. I think to some extent we over politicize decisions, which drag out our ability to put action in play. So, you know, I think from that perspective, we have to consider things like, and, and I use this one in, in classes all the time. You're thinking about it and you're going, okay, we have these targets. You know, we've all talked about the 2030 and the 2050 target, you know, in Canada, the 2050 target is all buildings will be net zero. Perfect. All grids will be kind of clean, you know, fully run by renewables. We've been talking about this for about a decade now. And we're coming up on a 2030 targets and we really are still doing a lot of talking. Like, so for example, I'm, I've been working on a project um, with it'd be natural resources and renewables now, ex Department of Energy, um, and the build to zero exchange, um, which is being run by Net Zero Atlantic. Sorry for all the terminology. Um, but we did a study that says, you know, what's training look like in the net zero economy, low carbon economy transition? And so one of the pieces that the research teased out um, and from work with was really around call it climate literacy. What do these terms even mean? Like getting all these policymakers on on the same page, as an example, is something I think um, makes a lot of sense. And we just finished a little micro-credential course with the NSCC doing exactly that. So I don't know if you've done many other programs or worked inside their piece, but I'll use WIMIS as a good example. Anybody in the trades and technology school takes a WIMIS course, right? So they've got this new 15-hour micro-credential, which is aimed around climate literacy. The intent is to roll that out with all the trades folks, right? So these trades professionals are coming through. They're not only getting measuring and codes and standards. They're getting the snapshot of going, okay, baseline climate literacy. So we're having the same, we're using the same vocabulary. We're using, you know, the vernaculars is matched up so we can have a conversation. Um, I'm working with some clients now that are, they're large developers, a large uh, investment firm out of, out of Ontario. And I mean, we spent two weeks just kind of trying to get everybody's head wrapped around what are we targeting, net zero energy, or we're going after zero carbon building standard, right? It was a real, it was a real eye opener to see, you know, folks that sit in boardrooms struggling the same thing that maybe a politician does or our general Joe or Jane off the street does, right? So I think really educating, getting everybody on board and what makes sense and what is practical and then what is kind of call it smoke, if that makes sense. Quick hit question for you here in 30 seconds sure. or less, Will. What can we do as uh, individuals that may own our houses, may own our, our businesses, if we're, if we're lucky? If, if, we are, uh, if we live in a property, um, how can we reduce our carbon footprint uh, in uh, 30 seconds or less? 30 seconds or less is probably it's one of the biggest challenges is for me is to just stop talking. Best way to look at it is it's waste, okay? Non-operational waste is the biggest benefit and it costs you nothing. So turning it off, scheduling it back, setting it down, right? Um, we live in North America, so we have all this stuff plugged in. Turn it off, put it on a power bar, lock it down and go, okay, if I'm not in the house, I don't need to heat it like I'm in the house. That's a simple example. Um, in terms of owning it and what should I do, you know, right now, you definitely want to be looking at a heat pump. If your house is at the age of needing some, call it siding repair, that's the logical time to engage it in probably an outside insulation package. So I just did mine. I've got a 97-year-old home, two inches of polyiso. So uh, I now doubled my insulation and I did it all from the outside. I stripped it off so I could make sure that the house was in still in good condition behind the siding. And then I put a whole new system on. Now, 
I'm in a position where that makes sense. And financially, I was able to do that. But it's those kinds of things that are basics. Air sealing is a perfect one. Do you know how to operate a caulking gun? Great. Go nuts, right? Inside and out, like tighten it up. That's there's really a lot of the stuff that makes the most sense. That's the most cost effective is just it's not it's not really sexy and it's not that high tech, right? It's closing the door, make sure the weather stripping's tight, dialing back the thermostat when you don't need it. In our house, the joke is you put a hoodie on, you know, before you touch the thermostat, you put on a put on a shirt, put on your your slippers and sandals, right? If you think mm. about our great grandparents, they were living in a, probably a one room house with a fire on, everybody was freezing. So the luxury of being able to crank it up to 23 Celsius whenever I want, a bit of an acquired need. Well, um, if I were to put my teacher hat on, I would say um, A for content and for awareness, um, F for brevity, but uh, sometimes <laughs> you need that length to be able to uh, get that message across. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting today, my friend. Uh, a huge thank you to you for taking time out of your day to have this conversation. Um, I know a lot will come from it. Uh, and I hope that our listeners uh, have continued to enjoy this conversation. I know that I have. And on behalf of myself and Anoush, thank you so much. Thanks, gents. So much to learn from this conversation. But one that stood out for me is how Equilibrium has deliberately maintained a focus on remaining an advisory organization, thus keeping its fixed cost low and remaining more agile for new experiments and innovations. It has recognized that its most important assets are its people and team, and thus dipping into their surplus to keep them on the rolls, putting people before profits. Not an easy choice to make, is it? Holy smokes. I took so much away from this conversation, including a massive dose of humility. I started out thinking, gosh, William and I may actually be the same person. But then the depth of his knowledge and insight really shone through. And I did away with the notion that we were even of the same species. And I just started taking notes. Equilibrium is yet another example of an unusual and disruptive business model. Another gem in our social enterprise ecosystem of Nova Scotia. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to tune in for more. I'm Matt. And I'm Anuj. And this has been Just Good Business Podcast. <laughs>